If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Today we're going to be looking at God's justice. God's justice. And when you think about justice, the first thing that comes to my mind um, is, is just how much in our society we like the idea of justice. We like the idea of things being just, being the way they should be, good, triumphing, over evil. If you look at you know popular TV shows for the last I don't know how many years, there's always several that have a justice component. It's like Law and Order or whatever it is, where there's somebody that's broken the law and there's the good guys trying to find them and find out how to make sure they can prove what they did so that justice is served. Today we're looking at this idea of God's justice, and the the amazing thing that we see is that our deep abiding sense of justice. And how things should be, how pretty much every nation has set up their justice system is directly in line with how God's justice for us lays out. So we've got a few things that we look at. So a a very simple definition of justice is getting what you deserve. Justice is getting what you deserve. So we think about that in, in two senses, right? There's positive justice, right? If you uh, work really hard at the end of the year, and your boss gives you a raise, that was a just thing for them to do. You got what you deserved because you worked hard for that, right? That was, it would be unjust for them to dock your pay if you've been doing a good job, right? Justice in the positive sense. And then we, also, we most often think probably in the negative sense, where someone breaks the law or does something wrong, and they are punished for that. Because they broke the law, because they did something wrong, they are punished and they get what they deserve. And so we see this this structure that exists in God's justice and in people's justice. We see the law or the standard that needs to be upheld. upheld, God gives us the law. We see in Scripture, in the Bible, what He expects of us to do. This is the standard that you have to uphold. When When you get pulled over and you get a ticket, they say, how fast do you think you were going? Do you know how fast you were going? I can tell you how fast you were going. And the reason you're getting a ticket is because the standard was different than what you were doing. You're going too fast. You broke the law. You broke the standard, right? These are the actions that we take. We either uphold the standard, we either uphold the law with the way we live our life, or we transgress and we break the law. So there's a law, there's a standard, and then we have actions. We either uphold it or we break it. And there's judgment, There is judgment for those actions. Your actions will be held to account, viewed as righteous or unrighteous. And in this situation, if you're thinking in worldly terms, if if there was a law that you're not supposed to break in and steal something, and then you, in fact, broke in and stole something, you're going to find yourself in court where there is a judge who will pronounce judgment on your actions. And then what happens? You get your wages. I think it's important we use this word because it's a biblical word. We'll get to that later. You get your wages, getting what you have earned. And this is where justice is served. If a person breaks in and they steal and they go to court and they judge them guilty and then they are punished, justice has been served. That's what we would say. And so when we look at God's idea of justice in this situation, as we pick up with David where he spares Saul's life. Well, what does that have to do with justice? We're going to see very specifically what it does. Because God's justice is the same 
It's more perfect and more holy, but there's a difference that we'll get to. And one more thing before we get into this passage. The, the Hebrew word shafat in the Old Testament is used, used interchangeably with the word judgment and justice. All right, so you see in some places where it says, let there be justice for the widows or justice for the fatherless. In the Old Testament, we see this where it talks about, let there be justice for these people. It's this word shafat. And when we see there will be judgment upon you for what you've done, it's this word shafat. Getting what you deserve. So we're going to get into that as we go. So 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to read it, we're going to go through it, and we're going to look at what God is saying to us this morning. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord has said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also rose and went out of the cave and called out after Saul, My Lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of these men, of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for the, by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking, these words came to Saul. Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept, and he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I repaid you evil." And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me in your, into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore to this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for 
this day that you've given us this time that we can come together and look at your word to see what it says to us, to see how we can look at David's life and how he interacted with Saul and see how your justice is so apparent in this passage, to see how we can look at this example and see how we should live our lives with those around us. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning and help us to understand you in a deeper way and help us to be obedient to you as we seek to follow you in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when we see here right now, I mentioned that word, Shaphat. In verse 15, it said, May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. This idea of give sentence between me and you, that's that word. The Lord is the one who will establish the justice in this passage. So the first thing we see as we go through this, we're going to go through kind of what happens. God's justice respects established authority. If we want to walk in God's justice and what God says is right and what is just, we see the example of David here. David had the opportunity and he had the reason to come against Saul in his life. Saul had already tried to kill him. He brought 3,000 men with him to try to kill David. His only reason he's there is to kill David. And yet, why will Saul, why will David not kill Saul? Because he is the Lord's anointed. The Lord has placed him in this position, and David realizes it is not the Lord's will for him to take it upon himself to harm the one that God has placed there. God is the one who establishes authority. And we are called to respect that authority. Romans 13, 1-2. And that whole passage in Romans 13, if you want to look more into this idea of respecting authorities, let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Now when we hear that and we look at this, there's clearly times throughout history where we look and we see that there have been people who have authority and have power that we don't like. And there's times in history and times that we can look at where people have authority that we do like. There's not a distinction in this passage. If someone is in authority, the Bible is clear that God has allowed them and placed them into this place of authority to be the governing bodies. The purpose, biblically, of the government is to be an extension of God's justice, right? The criminal justice system that we were talking about, those authorities are established, given authority by God, to help make sure that justice prevails. The reality of this is that God is still over those authorities. We know that, right? Every bad authority that's ever existed, every good authority, God is over them. And there's another thing the Bible is clear about, that God hates abuse of power. So this does not mean that every authority you will find yourself under is going to be good. But it does mean that those authorities are going to be accountable to God. Throughout Scripture, it's clear that those who abuse the power the Lord has given them will face His wrath. And we see quite a few examples of this in Scripture. The Pharaoh in Egypt. He had ample opportunity to allow the people to leave. Allow them to go. To be obedient to God. And he refused. And he suffered greatly. 
We see the Pharisees who are the religious leaders of the people of Israel who have taken this power and authority they've been given to teach and to lead the people and are using it for their own benefit. We see the rich man and Lazarus in the parable that Jesus told how the rich man had everything he wanted every day of his life and the poor man Lazarus sat at his gate wanting every day, wanting a scraps from his table, but was never given any. And we see how this rich man who abused his power was suffering. And we see in James, as we went through James not too long ago, James chapter 5 talks about how the wealthy landowners should be fearful of God's wrath because they abuse their servants, they abuse their workers, so they should be fearful of what is to come. So we are called to respect authority. We don't have to like the authority. We're called to respect it, to to be faithful citizens, to, to follow the law. But even when we find ourselves facing authorities we don't like, we can't use unrighteousness to accomplish righteousness. We can't use unrighteousness to accomplish righteousness. We, we see in this passage where it says David's men come to say, Saul is here. He is here. He's in a compromised position. This is the day that God has said, I will deliver your enemy into your hand and you can do what seems right to you. That is the key part of that passage. Do what seems right to you. Most often, how, how we would feel, how, how what we would want to do, if someone's there to kill us and we have an opportunity to prevent that from happening, what are you, what are you most likely going to do? What does your sensibility tell you to do? What is his men telling him to do? Take Saul's life before he takes yours. What does David then become? The very thing Saul feared. One seeking to take his power, to take his authority. David knew that Saul was the Lord's anointed. And he knew that he was not a good king. He was not following the Lord. But he knew that his unrighteousness, this this act of, of violence against Saul was not going to accomplish the Lord's righteousness. Right? And James has talked about that. The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. So we can't use unrighteousness to accomplish righteousness. Now, there's a whole vast and complicated moral and ethical pool we could wander into to figure out, well, what about this situation? What about this? And and there are times and places for those conversations. But as a general rule, you should not do something that is wrong to try to accomplish an end that is right. Seek to live and walk in righteousness. Take whatever legitimate action you can to change the outcome. And trust in God. Because there is no authority that exists except what authority is given by God. And where authority is abusive, God will punish. It's not our place to do that. We see also here, the next thing we see is that God's justice is built upon a foundation of grace. God's justice is built upon a foundation of grace. David, as we said, had every right probably within himself to take Saul's life. Call it self-defense if you want to. He was there with 3,000 men to kill David. While he had cause to do that, he didn't. He showed him grace. He gave him something that he didn't deserve. He spared his life. That is what grace is. Grace is the getting of something that you do not deserve. 
Right? So the wages we get in justice is what we do deserve. And grace is when we deserve something, but we get something else. So God's justice is built upon a foundation of grace. And this is where God's grace and the world's grace, or the, the God's justice and the world's justice differ from one another. Because when you go into a courtroom and you are guilty, you're not going to walk out of there with someone else paying your price. You're not going to walk out of there free if you've committed the crime. David spared Saul's life. We can and should give opportunity for repentance to those who have wronged us. Now this does not mean that we always leave things exactly as they were before. It doesn't mean that everything is exactly the way it was. David didn't walk back home with Saul. And in fact, Saul continues to try to kill David. But David didn't leave with Saul. He spared his life. He showed him grace. He showed him compassion and mercy. But there was still a difference in their relationship than how things were when David was fighting in Saul's army. But it does not mean that vengeance is ours to repay. God has given us great grace through Jesus Christ because we deserve something else. and We must remember this in how we interact with others. God has dealt gracefully with us, and so we should deal gracefully with others. This justice calls us to repay evil with good. And we're going to get to this more extensively later on in this, in this passage. But this idea, and that's what Saul said to David, I gave you evil and you gave me good. I don't deserve this. And following in God's justice and this grace that we have means that we also seek to right injustices that we see in the world. It seems very clear when you look through Scripture, there's a baseline dignity that all people deserve. If, if you were here a few Wednesday nights ago, you know why. Because we were all created in the image of God. We all bear the image of God. We were created in His image and His likeness. And because of that, there is a certain dignity that all people deserve. We are called to right these wrongs whenever we are able. Often in God's Word, we see about how it talks about seeking justice for the orphaned, for the widow, for, for the afflicted, for the oppressed. These people that are in unjust situations, we are called to seek to promote justice in those situations. Now in doing this, we have to use God's Word as our standard and our guide as we seek to right wrongs that we see in the world. Because we are often afflicted with first world problems. Right? We live in a very easy and, and simple life most of the time. But the reality is, is that when you go to Chick-fil-A and you order a Chick-fil-A sandwich with no pickles, and there's pickles on your sandwich, you are not afflicted and oppressed. That is not an injustice that has happened. That is a mistake. Right? We're not called to go and to right those sorts of wrongs. But, so there are many times in this world where, where the words affliction or oppression could happen, and we have to evaluate it biblically. What is biblical? But it is clear that we are called to be part of promoting God's justice, helping raise people up, helping to right wrongs when we do see them. And because of this grace, because of the grace we've been given, we must be committed to living out God's justice in our life at all times. And this is the difficult part. Being committed to living a life of God's justice at all times. Because David, up to this point, 
was a great man of God. He showed great faith in God. He faced Goliath when no one else would. He fought valiantly for the Lord. He was faithful to Saul, even though Saul accused him otherwise. But here's where the moment counts. All of that would, would be different. All of that would, be, would show a difference. You, just because Saul is there with David alone, he has this opportunity, doesn't mean that David can all, all of a sudden change his idea of who God is and how God wants him to act. Just because a circumstance is, diff- is different, just because you're alone, just because no one else is going to know about it, doesn't mean you can change what God's standards of justice are in your life. Right? You think about this idea, and the internet is, is terrible for this. This is a great example of how we see this. Right? It's easy to talk kindly to people, but on the internet there are things that people will call like burner accounts. They're a fake account that's not attached to you. And people will use them to say what they truly feel in their heart. To attack people, to go after people with no accountability, with no association to who they are. So and, and to the surface value, as far as everybody knows, you, you live this one certain way and everything seems good and appears good, but really you're hateful and going against people behind the scenes. What this means is that at all times in our life, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when there's little to no accountability for it, we must be committed to living a life that is committed to God's justice. Committed to following and obeying Him, even when it's hard, even when we don't want to, even when it would be easy to do the other thing. Because David had been obedient time after time after time, and it would have been so easy to compromise in this moment, but he didn't. We should take that example as well. The reason that David was right to spare Saul, the reason we should follow his example in this, is because God's justice belongs to him. God's justice belongs to him. It belongs to God. God in and of Himself is just. He, it is a part of His character. He is just. Justice is who He is. And because of that, He is the only one holy. He is the only one righteous. He is the only one who can be a righteous judge. The only one who can hand down a sentence for this. Now when we look at our, our world and we think about the idea of judgment, I think we have an issue that, that or at least in my mind, I saw an issue with the way I viewed this. Right? There's this term that you've heard, only God can judge me. And for a long time, I would say that, you know, there's, there's some differences there. I don't know that that's exactly true. But the problem is, is that when we look at this, there's two, we use the word judge for two different things. We're talking about two different problems here. Only God can judge me is absolutely 100% biblically true. But it's not true the way people use it. So let me explain that. We talk about there's judging by examining what people do in relation to the law, and there's judging as in pronouncing judgment upon a person, condemning a person. One of those we can and should do, and one of those we cannot do. So let me explain. Judging is an examination of people next to the law. 
We are called to do this. And this is often what people are talking about that they don't want you to do when they say only God can judge me. And in that, they are wrong. We are called to do this with both those who are lost and with those who are saved. So when you share the gospel with a person, when you go to them and you say, Jesus Christ died for you, died for your sins so that you could be reconciled with God, because you can look at your life and you can see, hey, you, this, these things, they're sinful. God's word says this and you don't meet the standard. And because of that, you're separated from God. What have you done? You have shown them, you have looked at their life and said, these things are wrong. You are doing these things wrong. But you're pointing them to Christ. You're supposed to do that. With Christians, when we see people walking alongside us as Christian brothers and sisters, and we see them struggling with sin, we're supposed to look at them and say, that's not what God wants you to do. That is not what God wants you to do. God's law says this. God's standard is this. And you are not doing that. You should not do that. You should walk in obedience to God. We're supposed to do that. So when, if someone is saying, only God can judge me because you explained to them how something they were doing in their life was not what God would want them to do, they're misunderstanding what it means when it says that only God can judge. Now, judging as establishing a verdict about a person, handing down judgment, being the arbiter of justice, we cannot do that. We cannot establish a verdict about a person. In Matthew 7, 2 through 5, For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own, log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's. This reinforces the idea that we are not in a place to be arbiters of God's justice. We can't stand as the judge in people's lives. And this is what, why people hate hypocrisy. When you confront it, do you do it as one who is a fellow sinner leading others to the Father? Or do you approach it as a person who is above looking down on the one you're correcting? It's a very important distinction. Because if you're looking at someone as a fellow sinner saying, this is wrong, let me show you how to be right. Or you look at them and say, you are wrong. And you pronounce judgment upon that person. That is not what we ought to do. D.A. Carson said it this way, we are, no, we are never more than poor beggars telling other poor beggars where there is bread. Our whole job about as, as sinners, we are all in this room sinners, separated from God because of our sin. Our whole job as Christians, as redeemed sinners, is to tell other people who are sinners about how they can be redeemed. Not pronouncing judgment upon them, but leading them to God. This passage reinforces the, this idea and gives a better picture of exactly how David is approaching the situation. Because the beauty of obedience in Scripture, the beauty of obedience that like we, we see in this Scripture with David and, and even in our own lives is if you are truly obeying God and following Him as you should, when people look at your life, they can see Scripture in your life. All right, so we look at this story of David 
And then we look at Romans 14, 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each will give an account of himself to God. And this is exactly what we see with David. He says, I'm not the one to come against Saul right now, to take his life. We're both going to stand before God. We're both going to have to give account for what we've done, and the Lord will judge between us. The Lord will, will divide between us and, and pronounce judgment between us. But that's not my place to do that. He trusts that the Lord will be the one who will judge between them and will pay back Saul for what he has done. This is where I talked about we must repay evil with good. In Romans 12, 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Our graciousness and our mercy in interacting with people should give them a foretaste of the grace of God that they will have if they will go to Him in their sinfulness. Do you understand that? When someone transgresses against you, when there's a standard in your relationship that they've broken, they come against you and they hurt you and they harm you and you show them grace instead of vengeance, what is that a picture of? What does that show them? It shows them when, that when you tell them about a God that loves them, that you truly believe that because you, you have, were a sinner, you were a transgressor who came face to face with the one who had right to be wrathful and have to give you the wages of of your sin, but loved you and forgave you instead. And so when we want to be people who carry out God's justice, we interact with grace to those around us. Because when we interact with grace with those around us, if they will observe and listen to what we say, they can have peace with God and repentance for their sins. And if they don't, the Lord will repay the Lord will repay. All people will stand before God and give an account. And the truth is that because God is just and we are sinful, if we stand before Him on our own, we will receive the just wages for our actions. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages we have earned are death. But this isn't the end of that verse. For the wages of sin is Death. What you have earned because of your sin is death. That is what you deserve justly, death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we see in this passage that everything Saul had done deserved for his life to be ended by David right there. Everything he had done gave David an earthly right to take his life. But just like God has grace with us, David had grace with Saul. And what is our response to that? What should our response? We can be made right with God if we will accept this, if we will believe in what Christ has done for us. Because 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Christ, God in the flesh, lived the life we could not, fulfilling the law, totally righteous without fault, gave Himself so that if we believe, we might be saved. The just anger and wrath that stood there for us was swallowed up by Christ on the cross. Our debt that we owed, the wages that we had earned through our sin were covered by the blood of Christ so that we might stand before God justified. This is the core of what it means to be a Christian, that through Christ we can be justified before God by faith. The wages of sin that we had earned have been paid. And there's nothing left to hinder our reconciliation to God. This means that when we stand before God, we will be counted as righteous, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. And so as we live our lives, if you have been saved, if you have a relationship with God, you have accepted Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you've accepted this free gift of salvation, as you interact with the world around you, this means that justice, living a just life, means walking in obedience to God. And it means when you have reason to repay evil, you repay it with good, because God repaid your evil with good. And your hope in that is that when you do that, you point people to the one who loved you. So this morning, how are you walking with God? Are you walking in obedience with Him? Are you showing grace where others show you evil? Are you showing this grace to people? Are you pointing them to the Father through the way you interact with them? Or, you, or do you live a vengeful life? Are you bitter about things? Do you hold things against people? Come against them. God calls us to be gracious so that we can point others to Him because He's been gracious with us. Or this morning, do you know Him? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you been saved? Because if you are a person here today, you are a sinner that is separated from God. And if you have not accepted what Christ has done for you, if you have not turned to Him, repented of your sin, turned from your sin, and believed in Jesus asked Him to save you from your sin, you are separated from God. But the good news is that you can be reconciled to Him because of what Jesus has done. The beautiful thing about God's justice is that He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us what we could never deserve, what we could never earn, because He loves us. So this morning, as we have this time of invitation, I want to invite you to examine yourself. How do you need to walk more justly, more obediently to God in the way you live with others. And this morning, do you have a relationship with Him? The debt has been paid. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on Him today? I'll be down front and the altar will be open as well as we go to this time. It's, let's pray. Father, I pray that You would be with us this morning, that You would just help convict us in our life of how we need to follow you more closely, how we need to follow you more obediently. That we want to, when we want to engage in being people who want to be walking in your justice, that we see what that means, that we see how we should live and how we should act and how we should show grace to others. And God, I pray that our grace would point others to you rather than our sinful actions pointing others away from you. 
God, I pray that if there are any who are here this morning who don't have a relationship with you, who have never repented of their sin and believed in you, I pray that today would be the day that they would follow you. God, I pray that you would show us each how you would like us to respond to you this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.